Good morning, Salem Baptist Church. It's such a privilege for me to stand here today and to share the Word of God with you. Uh, I can't tell how many of you would have known me as a little rugrat in the 1960s when our family moved here. Uh, some of you were here then. And we were sent out by Salem Baptist Church on our first mission experience in 1987 to France. And some of you were here then. But uh, we've seen a lot of things together. And I just want to say to you, thank you for standing with us for about 40 years now as we've served Christ and you've shared the burdens and the blessings uh, of sending someone and seeing God work. And I, I, I start off with this picture that that's my part of the Drake family. You know some other parts here that are named Ashburn or Drake or other things, uh, but when the Evan Drake part of the Drake family got together last November for the first time in several years and maybe the last time for several years, there were 23 of us, five sons, five daughters-in-law, uh, 11 grandchildren, uh, and the patriarch and matriarch. And we're, we're thrilled for this, for these people. And when you pray for us, pray for the 23 too, okay? So one of the things I do like to point out in missionary work is that uh, sometimes people say, well, I really appreci appreciate your sacrifice. And, and I know some of you that are missionaries would share this feeling with me. There's, you don't really feel the sacrifice uh, because it's such a privilege to serve God. But where I feel the sacrifice is when we leave this behind. That's, that's the sacrifice is to say that, and you say, well, you got, you got your son. Hey, Adam, in faith, I think they might be watching today, August, Nico, Ocean, Celeste, uh, that we have the privilege of living with and working with. But then there's the other group here, of which a few of them are here with us today, that we leave behind every time. And so I know for Grandma, that's a burden. That's a sacrifice. And so just pray for that as well. Um, today I want to share with you out of the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, so if you want to start turning there. Uh, just in the last several years, uh, our partner mission, ABWE, has, has gotten a new president, uh, Pastor Paul Davis, and Pastor Davis uh, wanted to bring us all into a better focus of what the mission is supposed to be doing, and so we have sort of not dumbed down, but simplified our vision uh, to reflect, I believe, more what even what the New Testament has made very clear to us of what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be doing in the world. So don't tell him, I added one to his three-point vision uh, that's more personal to me, but, but our vision as missionaries and as a mission and as a work in Togo, and I would say that this is the point for Salem Baptist Church also to say, okay, what is our purpose? What is our vision? And I would suggest to you that based on the New Testament, this is the vision of the church of Jesus Christ until he comes back. But that is, number one, to make disciples. That's the call of Jesus to the entire church, go and make disciples. 
wherever you are. And then that involves going all the way to, to training them up to be leaders or what I want to call in this message, disciple makers. So you become a disciple in order to become a disciple maker. And then plant churches. See, if the, the individual Christian is designed to reproduce himself in other people, the church is also designed to reproduce itself into other churches, wherever it is. And finally, that church and that group of churches is designed to launch mission movements so that from those bodies of believers, the work of Jesus Christ goes all the way, as Jesus put it, to the ends of the earth. And that's our vision for Togo. And I, I, again, I suggest to you that is the vision of the church here in Winston-Salem. So if you would, make sure you're at First Thessalonians, not Second Thessalonians, uh, but First Thessalonians chapter 1. And uh, we're going to look at how Paul, in a very brief period of time, enacted this vision into an unreached area, unreached people group in Thessalonica. And uh, I'm going to give you three steps, three stages of the work that Paul accomplished. And most New Testament scholars look at the work in Thessalonica and tell us Paul was there for just about three weeks, three to four weeks, and he left the team behind and moved on. And uh, amazingly, this process, which was initiated under his team's ministry, followed through to accomplish what our mission says is our vision, and we've been working at it now for 12 years, and I still don't know how far we've gotten in the process. But the first thing you're going to notice is that, that Paul focused on making disciples or believers of people who had never heard of Jesus Christ. And uh, so if we could read these uh, verses, Paul and his, this is his team, Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. And then he says this, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. It is because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. I don't know if you noticed, there's two trilogies in the description that Paul gives here of what kind of believers came out of the presentation of the gospel. But I, I just find this beautiful to consider what it is that we as evangelists, we as uh, Christians going out into a very non-Christian, hostile, threatening world, what kind of believers and people we are seeking to produce. And, and, and I think, again, Paul was very focused on not, not looking for a certain kind of person and saying, we're going we're gonna to work on those people, but looking for a certain kind of result. And the beautiful thing that I have found in Mongo is, and, and we have various types of people, even though our major people group is Muslim, 
we work with a lot of animist people, people that are very heavily involved in spirit worship, voodoo-type religions, and so uh, we, have, we just have a variety of people where we start from. But what you see is when they, they find Jesus, all of a sudden, this is where you start to go immediately with whatever people group it is. You have to, there's certain things that have to be eliminated, and, and those are different. But you're going towards this, and Paul uses this trilogy, this first trilogy, several times in his writings to describe the, the heart of a Christian, the, the, the inner person, the identity that a believer is to reflect in his life for all of us. Whatever context you're coming out of. And those three things are faith, hope, and love. So I think Paul is saying is, you saw when the gospel came into your world, into your life, that one of the proofs, one of the expressions of Christianity that became evident, and I would say one of the things that distinguished those, believe, those new believers from what they were before and what the others around them still were, were that they were people of faith. That is that they all of a sudden had decided and determined that they were not the answer to their problems and their, their situations, that their religious atmosphere was not the answer, that they found that the answer for everything they needed was found in Jesus Christ. And that is a person of faith. See, I work with a people who, who truly believe that if we're going to get to paradise, it's up to us. We're not getting help from anybody, and, they, and we shouldn't. They, that would be one of the really difficult things to explain to a Muslim is that they don't believe that we should be getting help because it's on us. Okay? And the more effort you put in, the harder you work, the better chance you've got. People of faith say, I gave up on me, and I put it all on God. I put it all on Jesus. And if I'm going to get there, like the thief on the cross or the centurion at the foot of the cross or whoever it might be, if I'm going to get there, it's going to be because of what God did for me, not because of what I did for God. And that's a person of faith. And so if you're sitting here today and your version of how we get to whatever you want to call it, heaven, paradise, the eternal state, if your version of that is some part of it or all of it depends on me, could I share with you, with the Apostle Paul, that God is calling you to faith, not to works. God is calling you to express your belief in throwing it all on Jesus and taking it off of me. And that's such a beautiful thing when you see somebody all of a sudden realize. We had a girl in our, in our Hope Radio staff who last year came face to face with Romans chapter 8, the one you're getting to soon. Verse 1, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And she, is, she was a Christian, but a Christian who was weak in her belief that, that she could make it to the end. And all of a sudden she heard those words, there is no condemnation possible ever for me in Christ Jesus. And she said it was like this total weight came off my shoulders because I realized that I had put all of that weight on the Lord Jesus Christ and I didn't have to carry it around myself anymore. That's the person that Paul says, when I came to Thessalonica, there were people who did not have faith. And all of a sudden, when they came face to face with Jesus Christ, the faith came on and the burden went off. And he says they're, they're people of hope. Hope is the, the, 
the future part of faith. It is the part that says, I can't see what's out there. I've not been there. I, I, I can't draw you a picture of it because I have never been there, but I know it's there. I see it by faith, and I know where I'm going. I know what's going to be. And that person who no longer fears tomorrow, no longer fears eternity, that's a person of hope. And, and as uh, Paul said it in 1 Thessalonians, he said, when you face death, we cry, but we don't cry as people who have no hope. Because we know through Jesus Christ that there is tomorrow, and tomorrow is better than today. And then he says, you're known as people of love. Love may be the horizontal expression more than the vertical one, although we start with a love for God. Love God with all your heart and then love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so this, this person who used to be so selfish in their view, their worldview, who said the world revolves around me, all of a sudden is changed, transformed into somebody who knows that I'm not the center of the world. Jesus Christ is. And I am here on this earth to love people in the name of Jesus Christ, to be his ambassador to the world. And so as Paul looks at the expression of, of Christianity that came into these pagan people, in a very short time he said there was this, this amazing transformation from selfish, faithless, hopeless people to people who are known and characterized today by faith, hope, and love. And I look around me and I say, God, please, let Salem Baptist Church be known in the community, in the city, and in the world as people of faith, hope, and love. But Paul gives another trilogy in this, this expression. I, as we read it, again, I said, I think I probably need to go back and make it four things because our word did not come in, our, our gospel did not come in word only, he says, so there was the Word, so that may be a fourth one you want to put in here. But the Word came in and power, the, the power of the gospel is the Word, okay? The, the Word is what you hear in order to believe, so that's there. But he says that there's this transformation that took place, and that's amazing, isn't it? To see people who have never experienced. I, I mean, I, I meet people who say, you know, I've tried everything. I, I've tried this religion. I've tried this practice. I've tried this, this witch doctor. I've tried this statue. I've tried this, and none of it works. And then all of a sudden, light comes on, and they trust in Jesus, and their life changes. And so Paul says, in their experience, you see these three things. There was power. And I know, I, I, I was saved as a six-year-old boy, and I realized that the transformation in the life of a six-year-old had better not be from a drunken, you know, carouser and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I know that. The transformation was probably pretty small, and I thank the Lord for that. So we don't all have a testimony of terrible sinner transformed into a, a, a wonderful, righteous person. But his picture is that there will always be some part of this experience, the miracle of salvation, where you say, that wasn't him, that wasn't me, that was God. Okay. And I, I want you to just think of your own testimony and say to yourself, 
Okay, what about my story tells people that this was the work of God? Because if all you point to is the work of my parents and the work of my church and the work of the activities, then you're not getting there. And Paul said, when I looked at the Thessalonian church, it was clear to me that this was not the work of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. This was the work of God. And he says it was a spiritual transformation. The presence of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit was evident. And and I share the same thing with you, that I find it incredible that we can stand before, on a normal Sunday morning, I'm in a village church with about 150 people, and the most educated person in that church may have been through the third grade, and they can't read, we can't speak the same language for the most part, and yet we are absolutely one in Christ because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's such an amazing thing to look at. Everything about us screams, you shouldn't be there, you shouldn't be together. And yet they all call me Papa. Uh, They treat me a little bit like the apostle, the prophet, whoever, and and I try not to overdo that, but, but it's a beautiful thing. And to see this work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is one of the proofs that this is not you, this is God. And then the third one on this, and it was with full assurance or full conviction. Uh, I like to use the word authentic. It's real. People don't look at it and say, eh, I'm not sure. It's like they're just following the crowd. It's like they're just part of something that they don't really, haven't really bought into. That when Paul and others looked at the Thessalonian church. They said, these new believers, it's real. And so I just want to throw those two trilogies out to you, that as a church, when you're looking at what kind of people are we attempting or or wanting to produce, that Paul made it very clear that there's these two sets of, of identifiers. One is faith, hope, and love, and the other is power, Holy Spirit transformation, and authentic Christian life and real living in the people that we have reached. Or as he puts it in verse 9 and 10, then that you have turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. So here's one more definition of what kind of believers they had seen in the church of Thessalonica. I just wanna, I wanna tell you about a guy. I may have shared something about Nadom uh, previously, uh, but he was one of the first, maybe I would say the second convert that we had when we first went to Galangashi in 2016. He came to our very first Bible study and said to me, uh, I need help, my, my baby, he had, they had just had twins two weeks earlier, and he said, one of the twins died last night, and I don't know what to do. My wife is grieving, and I need help. And we prayed, and, and finally, Nadom came to faith in Jesus Christ. And he was one of the most faithful men in our Bible study group and helped us get the church really going and church building done. We actually built a building on the, his property, a building, it was a stick and straw 
building, but you know, I call it the little, Three Little Pigs Church. We didn't have bricks, so we built with, with wood and sticks, wood and straw and hay. So Nadome is a farmer, which everybody else is a farmer too, but Nadome farms about 40 acres by hand. He, he does everything pretty much by hand. And so he's a fairly powerful man in this village. And so for four years, Nadom was really one of our leaders in the church. Now, part of the problem that we had was when he came to Christ, he was a polygamist so that Nadom could not take a position of leadership in our church uh, because he's not the husband of one wife, but of three. So uh, anyway, but Nadom has, has been just a very good friend and, and a faithful follower of Jesus until we left for COVID. And our church had to close for nine months because it was illegal to meet in Togo for nine months. We have no streaming or anything else because we have no electricity. And so we came back from a uh, six-month hiatus during COVID to find that Nadom wasn't back at church. And I went and found him and saw him and talked to him. And he would say things like, well, it just became too hard. He's one of the leaders of his extended family and all of that family are animists and all that family uh, do everything the witch doctor tells them to do. And he said, uh, it just got too hard to not have the idols and the sacrifices and the other things that are expected of us. And he said, I know I can't have that and Jesus at the same time, so I can't come back now. And for almost the last two years, the burden on my heart has been, Lord, was it real? I thought there was really something in Nadom's life. The Sunday before we left to come here on furlough, went to church, uh, had a visitor with us, so we pulled in a little early so he could take a few pictures, and this motorcycle comes pulling up beside me, and, and Nadom's one of two men in our church that have a motorcycle. So Nadom pulled in right next to me and he steps off his motorcycle and I go over and, you know, give him a hug and, and uh, he said to me, is it okay if I come to church today? I said, sure it is. And so Nadom comes in and I noticed that he's got a glow on him that I didn't expect and he sits on the front row and when, when we were worshiping and singing, he's... Uh, clapping his hands and raising his hands. And in, I'm sorry, but in Africa, he was dancing too and, um, and all the rest. So I said, you know, this is uh, not what I expected out of him. And, and the message finished and Nadom, we, were, we prayed to end the service. Nadom stood up and Nadom said, uh, can I say something? So he turned around, he stood up in front of the church and he said, I've lived in hell for two years. He said, I thought that my life would be better and I, I would have peace in my life if I made peace with the people around me by letting Satan back into my life. And he said, I'm here to tell you that it's been nothing but hell for, for me. And he said, I decided this week, and, and partly it's because his daughter was getting baptized that week, and, but Nadom said, I decided this week that I wanted Satan out of my life forever. And I want to stand here and to, and to say in front of all of you and in front of the world that I have decided to follow Jesus and there is no turning back. And I thought of that verse, that I have turned to the true and living God and from idols in order to serve 
God and to wait for his son to come back from heaven. Faith, hope, love forever. And I can't wait to get back and see my brother Nadom and to continue our journey together. So, first step, first stage. Paul said, as we came into Thessalonica, it was our goal to produce true believers. You know, not, not the halfway kind, not the false kind, but true believers who express their faith in these ways. And then he said, this is, this is what I find really interesting. Um, he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Now, that says to me that there was a second phase, second stage that Paul uh, had in his vision, that he had in his goals in this church, and that was not just to have people say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes I feel in the, in the church of Jesus Christ, we, we have these levels, we have these stages, and say, well, he got far enough at least. You know, he got saved, he got baptized, that's all we're going to get out of him, so that's fine. I don't think Paul ever said that's fine. He said this start has to keep going and that he became a follower, an imitator, a a disciple is our word often, of me and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here are the four parts to that. You became our imitators. Now I realize that when we all look at our lives, we say, ooh, there's some parts of my life that I don't mind people imitating there's other parts of my life where I said, let's keep that away and keep that hidden. And so part of the thing of being imitated is, is, means for us or for Paul that we, we should have a life worth imitating. So could I say to you that as our process from believer to disciple has gone and we're becoming people that are worthy of imitating, that's where this process starts to transform itself into I was a follower and I'm becoming a leader. I'm, that's where this is going to actually go in the third phase. But he said, they became our imitators. And because they were imitating us and we were following the Lord, they re- became imitators of the Lord, which is the most important part. If there was a way, I think, New Testament-wise, to, to get people to, to transfer from us to the Lord and follow him directly, that, that would be a lot better because I get in the way a lot of times. I don't know about you. You feel that way, that I become a hindrance more than a help? Because they're getting the messed up part of my life along with the good part. But Jesus designed it this way. God wanted us to be part of the process. Paul used that as part of the process, that fallen, fragile, frail sinners are in the imitation process so that people get the warts too. Okay, and that you work through the problems with them in this entire process. And then that's kind of what he says. It, and you became our imitators in much affliction. I don't know about you. Did anybody sell you this story about becoming a Christian, that if you come to Jesus, he'll take away all your problems? You know, I know some evangelists that kind of use that. That's, that's not true. Okay, you all agree with me? Okay, that it is not true. You come to Jesus, there's going to be some bigger problems that you're going to have to work through. 
And so he said the, the reality of these people's walk with Jesus Christ, their faith in Jesus Christ, and their walk in, in the truth is that it came in much affliction. In fact, my word is that they were tested. They were put to the place of being proven. And I, I know some of you, and uh, I, I, I just looked at Jonathan and Hannah, and I look around this room and I see people whose, whose faith has been put to the test. And the beauty of, of the Christian life is it's not seen in how far away we can get our problems from our world. That's where some people consider Christianity is, is you get healthy, wealthy, and everything goes good in your life. But the, the point that Paul makes here is that you see the reality of the Christian life in a person who is able to endure testing and withstand. And so he says, and, and it was with much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit. See, those two things together are a, a demonstrable proof of the presence of God in your life because not only are you afflicted, but you are afflicted and still have the joy of Jesus Christ in your life. And that is a beautiful thing to see in the lives of a believer. So I, I just say to you that these followers of Jesus Christ, followers of Paul who followed Jesus Christ, demonstrated their faith in this way. And so if, if I could define imitator, and my eyesight is not good to see that, so I'm going to turn it here, is a true disciple is one who follows close, closely another person who is faithfully following Jesus. Step one, point one. Who endures the testing of his or her faith, who lives in the joy of a deepening spiritual relationship with Jesus, always reaching toward the goal of making other disciples. That's, that's the disciple. Not just a believer, that's someone who's moving forward towards maturity in their life. And again, I say to you, as a church, as, as a mission, but as a church, that should be our vision, to move people from darkness to light, to move people from their baby steps to maturity in Jesus Christ. Now, I was sharing this, I, I have a concept that I use in our leadership training, which I the four M's, model, mentor, mission, and multiplication. And I was sharing this with somebody a few weeks back, and they said, well, that's mall. And I had not really heard that expression since, I, you know, I live in the fourth world on another planet, so I hadn't heard this expression. So I kind of looked it up and found out that mall, that really does exactly express what I'm talking about, which is model, assist, watch, and leave. So... Uh, if I could just put it into another more complicated chart, um, <laughs> that however you want to define this, that what we are called to do as disciple makers is this very thing, and that's, that's my life. That's where I live every day of my life today is that I am living surrounded by people, a lot of men, but in my life, I am trying to be a model of what Jesus would be if he lived in Mongo, Togo, and allow them to follow me and, and, and see my good sides and bad sides until they come to be walking in the same way. And at that point, uh, we become a mentor to them as we teach them and train them and lead them. And at some point, and this is again just like Jesus, you say to them, okay, now... 
I'm going to put you in twos and you're going to go out for a couple of weeks and you're going to do this out in a village somewhere and then you're going to come back and tell me how it went. You see how that happens in the Gospels all the time? Jesus doesn't say, well, you've graduated now from our Bible college. You have your diploma. Let's go out. No, he said, I, I'll put you out there and then you're going to come back and we're going to talk about this. And a lot of times, they come, a couple of times at least, they come back and say it was fantastic. And Jesus said, oh, whoa, calm down just a little bit because, you know, some parts of this, you can't get your big head blown up over this. And then other times they came back and said, man, there were, these, there were these guys out there that we tried to cast out the demons and there was nothing we could do. And said, what do we do? And that's the process of sending out and coming back and continuing the, the training, discipling process. And finally, you come to a place where what I call multiplication, where you say, okay, this is it. Go and make disciples. I'm not going to be with you, but I will be with you for whatever you need. And that's mall, that's 4Ms, whatever you want to call it. I put the little chart on the side over here just to say to you that a church that determines to be disciple makers, there are seven generations before we would reach the world for Jesus Christ. If you add that up, if one person comes to Christ and is discipled to become a disciple maker and makes a disciple, and then two people make another disciple, and they continue to make disciples, it takes seven generations to reach the world for Jesus Christ. And the question becomes, why aren't we reaching the world for Jesus Christ? And I would say very simply, it's because we're not making disciples and we're not making disciple makers. Okay? Don't... I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just saying to you that if you want to have the vision of the church that Paul had and that Jesus Christ had, it is that. And so we go from believers to disciples. We go from powerful expressions of new Christians to imitators. But from imitators, Paul said, there's a third step, third stage that really is kind of amazing. He said, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And he, and he, and he puts it this way. He said, not only did the word of God go out from you, okay, they weren't saying, well, we, you know, we need Paul to go and preach for us because we couldn't do that ourselves. It's, Paul said, you're out there sharing the gospel. You're out there reaching people. And he says it to such a degree that I have realized that I don't need to be part of this anymore. I can go somewhere else and the work will continue going on. Could I just, uh, you found one elephant in the room Maybe I got another elephant, and that would be that, that Salem Baptist Church, I feel a little funny being the first preacher after the preacher has left, but to, to say to you that this church needs a person like Pastor Kivett, but this church can do everything that it was doing with Pastor Kivett. Because as Paul would say, Pastor Kivett, I pray God that he'll look back at this and say, but I moved from Macedonia and Achaia, and I found out that the, the work of Salem Baptist Church continued on because we have disciple makers, we have leaders in the church, and, and I pray for you that you will be the kind of church members that could be leaders and will be disciple makers for whatever time it is God calls you to be without a pastor. And uh, so as he puts this 
before these Thessalonian believers, and he, and he brags on them. Okay, this is, this is a, a father bragging on his children. This, this is somebody saying, I can't, I, I kind of hear Paul saying it this way, I can't believe that in the time I was able to pour into these people, that they went from pagan unbelievers to being examples to the entire world around them. And to me, that's, that's the story of my life for the last six years, is to be working with, particularly with men, and seeing God turn them into me and better than me. I always say it, and I, I truly believe it as a missionary, that I work with people who will, all, will, will think, I could never be like him. And then all of a sudden you see along the way that they have become like me, and then they go a little bit farther and they become better than me because they can do it in their language and their culture that I can't. They have a lot more energy than a 60-something-year-old man, and they, they have so many ways that they can go past me, and that's what Paul's saying here. Paul's not saying, well, if you could only, if you could only have 100 Pauls, everything would be good. He says, you don't need 100 Pauls. You only needed one, and you didn't need him for more than a month before you were able to do better than Paul. And that is the story of the church that God wants us to move from believers to disciples to leaders as quickly as that can happen so that we can look out and say the work of God has multiplied, not just that we're holding on, but it has multiplied because we have a church full of disciple makers. I just put this up here. You, You probably won't follow the chart on this very well, but for the last four years, I've been heavily involved in a program we call Word Partners in in Mongo Togo, where we're training 30 men and women to teach the Word of God, to, to be able to understand and study the Word of God and then teach it to other people. And uh, we'll graduate these 30 people in, sept- in November. And we were asking the question, so what do we do next? You know, what do we do with these guys who most of them are leading some of our ministries and and cell groups and churches? What do we do with these guys? What do we do with the other guys that we need to bring in? We're starting a Bible Institute. So what do we do with word partners? And somebody came to me one day and said, well, could we go to my town, my city? And so that's the first one, Cara, that's up here. Cara is a city of 400,000 people. We have some, probably about 10 ABWE churches in Cara. And he said, you know, could we go there and teach this? This is so great. This material is so helpful. Could we go there and teach it? I said, well, you can. I'll help you, but, but you can do that. So we have uh, uh, Billy, Christoph, Tiet, and Minza, who are all from Cara. And I've said to them, I'll go with you. I'll help you, but, but can we make a plan to go down and teach the churches in Cara and, and other people. So we did that. And then the guy from Dapong, who's up north, uh, about 60 miles, he said, well, what about my town? And we said, well, we got two or three MOBA speakers here, so we can make a plan and we could take this up to, Mo- to MOBA tribe and we could teach it there. And so the two guys we have from Burkina Faso, which is off limits for us because of terrorist activity to go into Burkina Faso. And Hamidou, our, this amazing guy I work with that has now moved back to Burkina Faso, Hamidou said, when, what, when are you going to come here and teach my people? Because he has 100 churches that are responsible to him in Burkina Faso. Many of them have been burned by the terrorists. Many of the pastors have been killed. He said, when are you going to come teach us? I said, I don't know when God's going to allow that. But you, Hamidou, and Hama, our other uh, Burkina 
chaplain, you guys can do this and I'll help you however I can. And so we got Burkina and then we had, we had a request from Ghana, we had a request from Benin, we had a group from Nigeria that said, when can you come teach us? And the word partners people have said to us, we're giving you West Africa, you know. Like, thank you very much, I own West Africa now. But they've said, we, we don't want to get into French-speaking ministry, so we're giving it to you. You do whatever you want to with West Africa. And I said, look at this, this chart up here. That's what I call a mission movement. Because we've gone from teaching 30 people in Mongo to teaching 50, maybe 150 churches who will then go from there and teach others also to the point of we can't stop the work of Jesus Christ, even if we're forced to pull out, if I'm too old to do it, whatever might happen, that's going to launch and go forward because this is not about me. It's not about Adam. It's not about ABWE. It's about the church of Jesus Christ doing what God has called us to do. And so I say to you, this little process that I've tried to explain to you, I think it's a very simple thing, is the work of the church. It is the mission of the church, here and abroad, here or wherever, with whomever you have to do it with, that we need to focus, we need to simplify and focus in on these three things as part of, you know, whether you have the right activities or not doesn't matter. It is whether you have this vision, a laser focus on this vision, that we are here to make believers, to make disciples, and to transform them into leaders so that there will be a mission movement out from here to wherever God calls us to go until we have reached the uttermost parts of the earth and Jesus comes. That's what we're here for. That's why I'm in Togo. So I ask you to pray for us, that we won't lose that vision, we won't lose that focus, but I ask at the same time to pray for yourselves, and I will pray for you, that God allows Salem Baptist Church to continue this vision that you have had in our lives, and you have had for years and years, that we do not lose sight of what God has called us to do until Jesus comes. Let's pray together. It is for your glory alone, Lord, that we have come here today and that we are on the face of this earth. And it is not because of us, for us, or in our strength that anything gets done, but it is through the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and for the glory of God the Father that we live and we work. We pray now for Salem Baptist Church and for the outreach of Salem Baptist Church in places like Togo that you will spread the message of the gospel in power in the Holy Spirit and in authentic transformation so that people will truly become followers and make followers of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.